So welcome back to Growth Bites, Marmalade Marketing's podcast. I'm Joe Perotta, founder and MD of Marmalade Marketing. I'm absolutely delighted to have Louise Shaw from Omni RMS, who is MD, and we are very privileged to have her here with us today. Thanks, Joe. Nice to see you. You're welcome. Nice to see you too. So we're going to um, ask a few questions about leadership and um, in your experience, I'd love to know a little bit more for our listeners um, about your background, how you came to have your career. So before we get started, can you please tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to work at Omni, but but pre-Omni RMS, what, what does your career look like? Sure, okay. So um, I've now been at Omni for seven years. I joined Omni as their transformation, resourcing transformation director, which in essence means anything to do with talent, um, supporting organizations to get better recruitment and talent management. And I was appointed as the managing director last October. But life pre-Omni, I actually came up a people route so I started my career many years ago now, 20 plus years ago now, and started in the Bank of Scotland in quite generic HR people roles, including employee relations, recruitment, um, L&D, always enjoyed the talent and recruitment aspect. So I joined um, AstraZeneca, was there for a number of years, predominantly in, in, in talent positions, where I guess I was able to grow that experience further. Looked after um, my clients, my internal clients were global, so I had lots of um, experience in US, Europe, parts of Asia as well, uh, leading um, predominantly R&D talent teams. And mm-hmm. um, love that more and more. I did move back into partnering, business HR partnering roles. Um, but in the main, it's been talent positions that I've been working in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess allowing me to bring that to the likes of Omni and the clients we work with have been fantastic. In between those two, I actually um, did a bit of a diversion and became a lecturer supporting CRPD qualifications, which was fab, not expected, um, but really, really rewarding as well. So I'm not your typical FD, finance, marketing, sales route, um, and becoming the, I guess, the leader of leader of Omni. That's fantastic. And what year did you start your career with Omni RMS? Oh, good question. Would it been uh, seven years from now, so around 2016, mm-hmm. something like that. Fantastic. So throughout that time, I guess the, the business has gone through its own transformation and what brought, has brought you here today is that experience really in that sort of leadership and, and transformation. Yes. So marmalade being marmalade marketing, we love our breakfast food here. We are passionate about our grub. Um, we're northern, as you know. Um, <laughs> what's your favourite food and why? Not just breakfast. Not just breakfast. Anything. Oh, that's such a hard question. What's my favourite food? My friends would just laugh and say, Lou won't have anything unless it has guacamole added to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am like a massive sourdough with guac with um, some sort of egg on top mm-hmm. for breakfast type person. Um, but I probably would say mushrooms. Just love mushrooms with yeah. anything and everything. Oh, they get hidden in all my foods that my kids don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So let's get started into the questions. And, and we're really grateful for you being here today because, as we've mentioned, you have a, a expansive grid in terms of uh, leadership and transformation. You can share this with our audience. 
what makes a good leader in a business? So a very simple question, but I'm sure the answer isn't simple. Yeah, and everybody will say something different, wouldn't they, as well? So um, to me, I would always say without thinking theoretically about it, a great leader is someone who surrounds themselves by brilliant people. It's always been my ethos. It's always something that I would do. And once you've got those outstanding people, you then decide what to do with that in their roles. But I'm actually reading a book at the moment, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. Have you read it? really resonated with me and actually looking at the traits of great leadership and of course in my job we assess leaders all the time and we develop leaders and um, what's really interesting looking at what they're saying with, with that study is that um, there's no ego but great leaders really think about doing the, the right thing for businesses long term and it's not about them yeah. and a lot of the wealth creation and the vision it will live longer than they will okay. um, in terms of actually looking at the company and that has really stayed with me and um, of course you have all your usual things such as setting a vision great communicator um, but it is that um, I guess them surrounding themselves by brilliance um, and then really taking strides to, to change an organisation I think is the key thing for me. And what are your top three tips for successful leadership? I would say it's creating a culture where people can speak up, making um, people able to challenge, be creative, really innovative, never fearful and actually encourage them to make mistakes. That's when you're going to really learn. Um, so that's really hard to do. Even in when I changed my role at Omni and became the MD, the difference I noticed with how people were with me, just really funny. It's like, it's just a title. I'm mm -hmm. still Lou. I kept around, around saying, mm -hmm. I'm still Lou. You know, tell me their warts and alls. That's what you want to learn. So it is really hard to create that culture and certainly in large organizations. So I think it's really key um, mm -hmm. to have that, that two-way communication and that um, ability to challenge. Other things I would say, um, really clear communicator. So great at um, clearly articulating a vision, but then translating that, what does it mean for everybody else? What does it mean for me? Um, and ensuring that everyone is aware of where they fit in to that vision. And um, to me, that is great communication. Um, there's loads of other ones. Probably the key one would be making those difficult decisions and being honest and truthful why they're taking those decisions, the tough ones, um, but still going about doing it and not procrastinating over it. And what is your view on whether EQ is important in leadership? It's not been asked this question for a while, actually. It was like a big fad, wasn't there, yeah, yeah. like five, ten years ago around EQ. So you made me actually think about, let's go and research what is EQ, what is the definition, how do we all understand it today? So I have got it written here, so apologies for looking. But um, to me, it's about the ability to identify and regulate your own emotions and understand the emotions of others. And I think it is absolutely critical. We probably just don't label it as EQ mm -hmm. as much anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you think about how we get work done, it's through people. And if you can't regulate your own thoughts and emotions and how you're behaving, how are you going to get that work done productively? So it is absolutely key. There's loads of examples of what's going on in the world, isn't there? And with certain leaders, let's say, who probably don't have that high EQ and then the fallout that you get from that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's incredibly important um, long-term and be really empathetic and understand, um, as well as, um, I guess, leading leading business as well. The other question that popped in my head is, um, you mentioned about regulating your own kind of emotions and mm -hmm. uh, resilience, I guess. 
So if the leader has to do that, but he's going through challenges, it could be stages of life or, or whatever it may be, um, external pressures, pressures of new roles. How how do you think that leader should seek to um, help if they can't self-regulate almost? If they can't the mentoring or ah, oh, so um, they need extra support yeah. themselves. So yeah. they've not got all the answers, and they, yeah. you know, they're going, they're overwhelmed. Yeah. So you, you know your own triggers, don't you? When that yeah. the stress and the load is coming up, and to me, it's thinking quite holistically about your life and what you've got going on. I'm a massive believer in yoga. Mm -hmm. namaste i've always <laughs> practiced it and that is my way of actually just my one treat a week where it's about me and that is really important just um even when we all you're there and lay down on the mat you are not supposed to be thinking but you are thinking and all the thoughts are coming it just helps you put things into perspective and mm -hmm. um, so that's my one way of him having that but of course there's so many different ways and everyone will find their own um i do think having external networks beyond your organization are incredibly helpful yeah. and you just get that very different insight into what you're doing and what your business is doing and mm -hmm. um, a coach a mentor if that's going to work and um, as i said before though what i think a great leader is is that you're always learning you're never just satisfied so learning how to control your emotions or what's really going to be your trigger it's really important. So that self-awareness is, is massive for sure. Thank you for that. That's so useful. So what is the importance of diverse teams in the workplace? It's massive. I really do pride um, the work that we do at Omni for making such a difference. Um, I get quite frustrated that there's so many organisations still talking about it. Uh, we, we do a, an annual survey with the CRPD looking at talent trends um, and the, the, the results from last year's um, was all about it. Has it really changed? Is it really, really making a difference? And we found essentially that most organisations are still talking about it and not really doing anything. Right. But it's just incredibly important. Um, not only is it the right thing to do, but from a business perspective, there's so much data and results to show how your business will thrive. Um, I always remember the, um, the Forbes one from last year and they were suggesting that in a diverse culture and diverse thinking uh, your financial will be 35 percent better than your competitors that don't have a diverse so to me the argument for should you do it should you not do it it's so gone the fact is yes you do and all of the um, the benefits that you'll get from it are massive um, and the biggest one clearly is that creativity the difference the ability to challenge challenge and if you have that culture that we've just spoken about for and diverse thinking as well, you are absolutely onto a winner in terms of making a difference to your company. So it's absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest challenge of 2023 from a people perspective in your view? So um, certainly for this year and last year coming out of COVID, it's what we do. So it really, truly is now the world of talent and retention. And both of those have been such a challenge for organisations. We're in the middle of um, a skills crisis. There's a labour shortage in the UK. So you just, even the ONS figures for last month, um, the number of vacancies is slowing down a little bit. And employment is practically the same. But I guess you almost think we are at full employment and we have such a massive gap with regards to skills and not a lot of organisations are thinking long term about how do we get those skills or do you work differently mm -hmm. for that. Of course, we've got um, um, a pay crisis as well going on at the moment. So organisations are grappling with um, trying to keep the people that they've got. They're demanding higher salaries and actually then they're having to go and hire 
when people do leave and pay more salaries to get the right talent. So it's having such massive impact on organisations. We're seeing um, delayed projects, um, downsizing, having to really, really cut back on things. And of course, then it has a massive impact on the people that stay and the stress that that's causing. So you can see, you can feel burnout and exhaustion um, amongst organisations. But yes, it's get its work. We specialise, it's in the world of talent. Um, that's absolutely the key issue um, for organisations. Fantastic. And what are the worst hiring decisions you have seen? So you've been in this, you know, kind of um, world of work for some time. What are the really bad stories? I've, I really struggled actually to answer this. I, I am that person that will always speak up. If I'm involved in a hiring decision, I won't let something go. So I've not really seen anything personally happen. Um, where I have seen it or experienced it or observed it from afar, it's purely when the selection process is broken mm-hmm. or you have um, a hiring manager's preconceived idea that X person is going to get the role, especially if it's internal. Yeah. Um, so the candidate's already got it. They're just seeing the process as a tick box. And you can observe absolutely then that they might they're not the right person. Other employees um, feel it's not fair and you have then the fallout of all of that as well. So I would say it's it's absolutely down to um, biases and, and preconceived ideas and people not really following a fair process. Mm-hmm. So what is the impact on business of making consistently bad hiring decisions? So many. Um, everything from if you think about um, business impact Mm -hmm. you have the cost everyone always thinks initially about the cost of hiring that's just a tiny part of it you have um, the reputation the cost of having to go out and rehire so you have the hiring manager's time the line manager's time to train induct on board them and you have the cost of um the impact on all of the individuals in the team. So they're working really hard to onboard a new person. They leave, got to do it all again, got to cover that empty seat while they're away. So you have um, the morale and the burnout as well of employees. You have this constant um, poor, poor hiring. Other things like it can impact clients. It can impact your customers. Um, if you have somebody leave that's client-facing in particular, it's so key to get them right. And if they're then a poor performer um, or they're, they're not right for you and they leave, you've got to rebuild that trust with the client as well. So, so, so many different ones. Um, we do lots of research. We have um, a calculator at Omni and organisations are always quite surprised at the actual cost. I know it's quoted anything between 35 up to 120%, I believe, um, of an employee's annual salary is judicial cost of a bad hire, which wow. is phenomenal. So there's so many wide aspects. It's not just the recruitment team and the hiring manager. What is in store for Omni in 2024 from a people perspective? Lots. <laughs> so as part of our core strategy, one of it, we have five key strategic areas that we're working on. One of them we call brilliant people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we are doing a lot this year and it will all continue next year. And under brilliant people, we have everything from the technology that we use um, to the, the leadership and the management coaching and uh, development programs that we have in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we have a, a large program with regards to skills development, especially for our recruiters. We're actually really lucky in Omni, as you know, one of our key service areas is working with other organisations on management leadership training, 
I'm training on TA and um, I have been able to secure all of that wonderful time to do it for us, which is so important. So that's one of the key things that we're focusing on next year. Um, we recently implemented some new tech um, called Highbob, um, great SME uh, and mid-sized organization, people technology, which really changed how we manage performance. So we've just gone through our first round of setting quarterly goals all online. It's really a bit of gamification so you can assess and um, see how you're progressing. And um, all of our employees have bought so well into that. And yeah. um, so we'll be refining how we do that so much more next year. Um, and then lastly, probably worthwhile sharing our wellbeing program is really well established now. And coming into January, we'll be having a bit of fun. It's winter. It's a um, So we've used an app in the past um, called Gojo. Um, so we're going to be using that again. And it's a bit of a game, really important because we're a remote workforce as well, um, to build connections across different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allows us to do that, but it's essentially um, it's activity-based, well-being and physical, and um, a bit of a game and a competition where everyone's competing against themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's coming in January, February. What does good look like in 2024 from an employer and employee perspective? So big year, isn't it, really? Because we all know what politically is potentially going to happen. I think everyone is hoping from an economic perspective, it's going to stabilise a little bit more. So thinking from an employee perspective, um, uh, they're going to be concerned around their own personal career development, um, really thinking about the organisations are thinking about them more next year and what they're going to get and how they're going to progress um, during that, that period. I think it's going to be um, really getting that mix of work and life balanced a bit better because people are burnt out. Um, and I think we, we're not going to get away from the conversation of um, remote or hybrid. God is absolutely God is 95. Yeah. Um, and I think organisations are still working out what does that mean for people um, and how do you really, um, I guess, engage and encourage them and drive higher performance of people if they're not in an office nine to five. Mm-hmm. So that, that to me is key to, to make progress on that issue next yeah. year as well. Yeah, fantastic. And in terms of that hybrid um, remote versus working in offices, do you, in your view and experience of working with a number of different clients that, that you support, is there any kind of view that you have in terms of what what it should look like in the future so we know what it actually looks like we've all been kind of shoehorned into this for example creative companies like marmalade there's a degree of remote working but the magic happens when we're together as a creative team and i know some of that can be um kind of transferred you know to that virtual world but how in your view how should it be are you happy with the state of of play I'm not happy with the state of play. There's absolute pros and cons. And I would say there isn't one right answer for everybody. Every organization is different. And of course, we have to remember not every role can be remote. So some have to be in store or whatever or on tools Um, where it is a possibility. I have seen absolutely massive benefits from a diversity perspective. Um, We're based in um, northwest of England, and it was quite tricky for us to get that real great diverse thinking within our business. Um, So 
thank you COVID for helping us push that button and really go for it. And um, over 60% of our people now, they don't even live anywhere near to our office. Wow. So that whole aspect of try and get people in once or twice a week, it's just not a possibility. Um, and that doesn't concern me. What I think really needs to happen is that you need great leaders to be able to manage remote workforces. Um, when I was at AstraZeneca and most of my team were in the US or in Sweden, so I couldn't physically ever get to them often. I guess I've grown up with that way of working and I, it feels that in the rest of the UK, we're not there even close. Um, but yeah, I think it's a mix and it's a blend. What is the worry? It's, um, it's the development of people. How do we nail that? And also it's the well-being, certainly of um, younger people when work is tough when it's hard and you're at home potentially in your bedroom and you're not leaving that all day that's not a great environment for anybody um so that's what we have to tackle um, and try and get right to make sure from a well-being perspective people are supported yeah and just from a final question you know since covid most companies um we had a hyper growth situation so everything was just you know make hay whilst the sun shines we all knew something was going to happen and slow down. So we've had this um, volatile, uncertain year and um, that's going to carry on into next year. So the hyper growth, what you mentioned about having near full employment, companies are sustaining the teams that they have because they know they're fit for growth again, even though sales have reduced for lots of companies and this hyper growth now has slowed down. So the question is, I guess, Companies are doing their bit. So next year, the view is we, you know, we really do need to look after our people and build that resilience of what we've all been through together. We're all a bit knackered, I mm. think. And um, equally, we're holding on to um, the amazing teams, even when revenues from most companies now um, are slowing down. Where is the balance of? It's almost like a, a mutual understanding of of different pains and together as a, a team that the company supporting employees and, and the employees are really digging deep to to support the company so the question is i guess it can't all be one way or the other in your view what do you see with your clients what we're absolutely seeing is a period of right-sizing the organisations right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there, I guess, an organisation that's grappling with cost constraints, reduced revenues, and the, the, the scale of growth last year. And then also the issues with talent means that um, they're, they're holding back. We're using the word sluggish. The market's sluggish, absolutely, in the UK. All the economists are predicting that nothing's really going to change much. Um, very, very slow. Um, I guess reduction in, in inflation is planned, even going into 24, 25. Um, so with all of that um, in the background, you know that investment's not really going to happen. So we're seeing as a pattern of um, right-sizing, which still does re- um, result in recruitment and people potentially leaving a business and then getting different people in or looking at automation. Um, but yeah, I think organizations are just taking stock with what they know is in their pipeline in terms of a growth perspective for revenue and then thinking, do they have the right people doing the right jobs? So we, we're expecting next year lots of um, activity around internal mobility rather than um, excessive hiring into an organization. 
but moving things, moving things around with restructures and different roles, that type of thing. And I guess from a leadership perspective, that's incredibly important to upskill leaders in being able to to take on a piece of work like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's essentially it's fundamental change, isn't it? It's people and also transformative change for business. Um, and a lot of leaders who will be new to leadership won't have seen that before at that extent. So key skills that people have got to, to take, because you need to take... Anyone who remains in your organisation, they've got to go with you on that journey. And that can be quite difficult as well when they're seeing potentially their peers exiting business. Mm-hmm. 